Hi everyone, I'm Liz, you're listening to The Lid Rue Show. And today I'm going to be talking about uh, a popular subject really amongst the startup community. And it's really the debate of do early stage startup founders need a business plan? I think this is something that uh, is quite controversial. All I want to do today is give my take on it. You know, I mentioned on the first episode of season two of this podcast, which aired about two weeks ago, that based on the last eight months of my life and really where I went missing, that I would be pulling on those key things and talking about them as lessons that I've learned and, you know, the whole journey of raising capital, hiring people um, and kind of scaling a company to a certain extent. Not that I am any guru. I just think that when I was 15 years old and I started my first company, my first tech company, I would have loved to have someone who was kind of like a few steps ahead of me that I could look up, look up to. But at that time, all I could really surround myself with was books of people who were kind of 40, 50, 60 um, way ahead of me. Obviously, there's great knowledge and insight into those books, but sometimes it helps um, to add a little bit of rea- reality to it. If there's someone who is maybe a few steps ahead of you on that journey, who you can kind of hear from about how they dealt with certain things. Um, so with that said, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Please do share it with someone who is either starting a business or is in the process and is about to start the fundraising process um, on the importance of a business plan. Again, everything that I say in this podcast, it is my podcast, it is my views. Um, you know, they are my views. They're not discriminating against anyone or anything else. Um, And yeah, I hope you enjoyed today's show. So today's episode, as mentioned, is based on do early stage founders require a business plan? Do they need one? Um, And, you know, really, this is something that the last two weeks of my life have been very, very different. I have to admit, you know, I I went out and publicly announced that I raised capital and being a young female founder in tech is... um, not as common, not that I even like to pull up on those things. But what that means is um, my LinkedIn just went crazy. The post had 14,000 views. The article, the the PR company that was working on our deal also got some good coverage, so thanks to them. And then what happened is the more viral that post went and the more press the housemates got, the more people that were connecting with me on LinkedIn, which is fantastic because I love to connect with people. And so all these people start flooding into my direct messages and asking questions. And I noticed there was one fundamental trait in in that. And that was really that most of those people asking the questions of uh, the same questions, which are what's it like raising capital? How did you raise capital? Can you tell me on the process? Um, And I just, you know, I I picked up on some trends on this. You know, most of these people are very, very early stage. So when I say that, like, pre-product market fit so they don't even know yet if anyone needs or wants their solution or even has a problem um and that's something that uh, i think a lot of startup founders um that that's a reason why a lot of startups fail they end up building uh, uh like a vitamin um instead of a painkiller as i say so you've got to build a painkiller to solve someone's problem um in terms of, of that be, that painkiller being your product and your service that you offer in the market. So as people are asking me these questions, you know, um, 
me being me, I love speaking to people. So, you know, I say, oh, go on, go ahead. Ask me all the questions that you want. Like, what is it that you want to know about the process? Is it the pitching? Um, is it kind of the fundraising process and meeting with different investors? What What is it um, that you want to understand? And it turns out, like, most of it is investor readiness. So, you know, this is something that um, is talked out talked about a lot through podcasts, you know, YouTube videos, blogs, founders interviews, you name it. But I think investor readiness, in my opinion, and it, it does vary upon investor, but it is quite rare that you would get an investor backing someone based on an idea with no product, no data, no insight into the market and totally unexperienced. I think that's ultra, ultra rare. Um, and probably a little bit of a recipe for disaster as well, in the sense of um, that young person could probably go and work at a company for two to three years, get more experience, understand how to manage people, how to how to work in a startup environment and figure out if it's really what they would like to do. Because when you take someone else's money, it becomes um, a completely different ball game. But I mean, that's another podcast in itself altogether again. Um, but there's one thing that kept on coming up in the conversations that I was having with people um, who actually have been spread across the globe, you know, in, in, in America and in Australia. It's been so surprising that these people are reaching out to me. Um, and the thing is, you know, it kept on coming back to the same thing of what documents do I need? So obviously, when you pitch for investments, you're going to need a pitch deck. I can do a, a podcast and an episode on what a good pitch deck looks like, um, you know, it should be short, it should be sweet, it should be enough to entice, but not giving your whole game plan away. Um, enough really to lead the next conversation. But the big one that many young uh, entrepreneurial type people are asking me is, do we need a business plan? Now, this is a, a weird subject in the sense of previously business plans were quite old school. They were 100 to 200 pages. Um, felt like like library type books, you know, were written that way, were, were written in a very serious manner. And then came along the Lean Startup, which basically preached to everyone, like, forget your business plan. Don't waste time on your business plan. Go out and figure out if the world wants your solution. And if there's a serious enough problem that you can actually make a business out of solving that problem um and obviously the lean startup you know that is probably the reason why we have so many successful companies now who have really built strong feedback loops with their end consumers and users and customers which is absolutely fantastic and the speed at which um these companies iterate with within sprints and product updates and the transparency they have with the end consumer is absolutely fantastic. But what that also did is it it kind of drilled this mentality into a lot of young founders or soon-to-be founders that are now speaking to me that a business plan isn't needed. Um, and then, which is a very strange thing because everyone in my circle who's either 10 steps ahead of me or at the same stage in terms of fundraising and growing a business uh, obviously knows that's not true. Um, but the people at the very, very start of their journey are obviously reading the Lean Startup, which is great because they need to build that product. 
but are applying that mindset across every vertical of their business, which I think is a bit concerning. So, you know, the, the objective of this podcast is to give my take on it, to tell you what probably would have happened to me if I didn't have a business plan and what having a business plan has done for me, the great things that it's done for me. Um, and why I think it's important, you know, these are my views, but I can also just kind of pull upon people within my own network who, again, are either at the same stage or at a different, more advanced stage in building and scaling businesses, or even mentors who see it as absolutely vital. Um, so touching upon it, so we've got the lean startup uh, mentality and we've got the old school mentality, which uh, which are absolutely, you know, they've both got their own pros and cons. But here's here's my view on it. So if you're a startup founder and you've got an idea and you've got a, a minimal viable product, so you've got the very, very basics of your product out into the world and you're getting feedback on the product, but you haven't yet found product market fit. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, you might listen to this podcast. Product market fit is when you know that there is a problem and you know that your solution could potentially solve that problem or is solving it, but could solve it better. Um, and that's what that's where the gap in the market is. That's where the opportunity is. And really, it's for you as a, as a founder to be able to figure out uh, how to maximize that opportunity. Now, Product market fit, you tend to know when you've got it, if I'm honest, because it's when people come back to your products, depending on what type of product it is. So if it's a social network, they come back and they spend hours on it each day based on consumer behavior. Or if it's a SaaS product, they're signing up to the subscription and suddenly you've got reoccurring revenue each month uh, based on a subscription revenue. Uh, you've just you've got that stickiness, you know, you've got people giving you feedback, you've got people um staying with you when your product crashes and it's got bugs because they just love your product and they want to see it evolve. You know, you've got your early early adopters who uh, fundamentally every startup needs because you need that feedback to improve and you need to get it right the way through to the vast majority based on that, on that curve. But I think, you know, when you've got it, when you refresh your analytics and you, you know it's going in the positive direction or the negative direction, and the minutes on the site are going up and the transaction volumes going up and the network effects are starting to happen. That is product market fit. When, you're, when your product starts to market itself, you are in a good place. Now, I have to say, in no bad way, most of the people who are reaching out to me are very, very honest. They're not at that stage yet. Um, but they're asking me uh, and they're telling me that they're going to raise capital or they've, they're sending messages out to investors at this moment in time, which is already a hard enough time to raise investments when we're having a global uh, crisis. Um, but, you know, they're just not at that product market fit stage yet. So for me, um, it's, it's very, very hard to raise money on a product that hasn't yet proven itself in some way. So if, if, if you've got pre-product in the sense of you've got a landing page, you've got sign-ups, um, you've got a community that's helping you behind the scenes build your product. That is another form of traction. Um, but if if you've just got a product that hasn't got usage, 
and you're wanting to raise money because you think money is going to solve that problem. In most cases, money doesn't solve that problem. Like most of the startup founders and most of the startup teams who are sat in garages, who are sat in garden sheds and basements in crazy situations, working all the hours that they can physically and mentally do, they're going every way to acquire and retain a customer possible. In most cases, without spending a single penny, because in the early days, you don't really have a single penny to spend. And also, it's much more efficient to find out what channels work, what acquisition methods work, um, and then you know figure out what fails, what works, and then double down, invest in those channels further, put your money where you know you're going to get a return on it. A bit like an investor judges startups, where am I going to get the maximum return long term? Um, and, you know, that is where, that is the nitty gritty. That is the startups that I love. You know, it's the, it's the five to six team members who are giving it their all, who will work the nights um, and who will do anything, anything messy to acquire that customer. Now, the types of people that are contacting me are skipping that, that, that side, um, that side of things. But the brutal reality is every major product that is on your phone or your, or your laptop and desktop that you use that has changed the world in some way has started in that brutal reality. So Airbnb, you know, their founders put themselves in a considerable amount of debt. They had um, like a brochure of credit cards because no one would fund them before White Combinator. And even White Combinator thought that they were crazy, but just loved how they sold cereal to actually fund themselves. That was the extreme that they went to. You know, um, Snapchat, not, not many investors back that. Facebook, not many investors believe that could be, um, they could monetize the data. There was so, there's so many companies globally, you know, um, even Amazon in its very, very early days, you know, people just didn't get it. You know, they didn't, they didn't see it. They didn't see that, that change and that, that um, innovation tidal wave coming. But all those founders figured out a way. And I think getting money can make you really lazy because um, yet it brings you more resource, but it also brings you a spray gun in a way where you can just spray everywhere what tends to happen. And you hope for the best that something works, but you don't really know what that something is. Um, and also like you just don't learn the valuable lessons that you would find without money. So my company, you know, we've been the last year without actual like a pre-seed. Uh, I've learned so many valuable lessons in not having money um, that now that I have money in the bank as a company, uh, I know where to invest it and what not to do and, and who not to hire and the, the, the key signs that I'm looking for, the warning signs. Um, but I just really think that startups who are trying to raise pre-traction, pre-validation, that's the correct term. You want to validate that people want your product and that there's a certain that your solution is going to solve their pain point, their problem. It's very, very hard to do that anyway. Trying to do that in a global crisis is even harder. Some would say you're absolutely crazy, but I think you have to be crazy to start a company anyway. Um, and I think it's just not it's just not the sensible way to do it, in my opinion. You would you would get your data and you would figure out how your business is going to work. Um, and you would write your business plan. And, you know, that's the way I did it. 
Um, that's the way I've done it. Many of my friends who've got companies have done that. And the reasons for, like, I wanted to talk through some of the key things that a business plan gets you prepared for, what a business plan should be and what it shouldn't be. Um, and I can tell you this because I built my business plan alongside a mentor who is an ex-venture capitalist. And, you know, if I told you the journey of what happens to your business plan or your pitch deck when you send it to a VC, and what is the likelihood of it even getting read and reviewed by one of the partners at that firm? The statistics are absolutely um, crazy. You know, more likely an intern sees it on the front front desk who's 16 years old uh, in a summer internship and decides if they think it's cool or not. And it really is based on luck that it gets passed up the chain and gets considered and looked into further and questioned and you might be invited in to, to pitch to that, that venture capitalist. But anyway, that's the odds in a different vertical. Let's just talk about why a business plan is important, why I found this being absolutely critical for my company. Um, when I started Housemates, it came from another product, which was a product called Whole Hang. It was a social network that really operated in student accommodation to help students understand who their neighbour was and um, if there was a house party happening, it was quite a playful product. Um, I'm not going to lie, I didn't really, like, there was no way of monetizing that product unless it was ads based, um, which is notoriously hard to do with social networks and the likelihood of social networks surviving against the big players in the space is, is very, very hard. Um, but when I discovered that there was a need within students' accommodation, and I decided that I was going to disrupt it. I obviously knew that I needed capital, um, but I had a product that I flipped. Uh, I kind of pivoted my existing product, Whole Hang, into becoming housemates. And what that did, that allowed me to um, gather more data and obviously validate a lot more. And then I realized that at one point I'm going to need uh, capital. Um, but I also realized that uh, there's still a lot of unknowns. I was very aware that there was many things in my market that I just didn't understand, which were red flags to me, never mind um, me pitching to investors and those still being red flags. So I built my business plan alongside building my company. You know, you can't, especially when you quit your job like I did, I had a really well-paid, great job down south. Um, when you quit your job, everyone thinks you're crazy, um, especially from like a product manager position. You, you know, you do feel a, a little bit crazy. So, you know, you go all in, you've got your savings in the bank uh, because you've prepared for that movement, hopefully. Um, and basically, you've got to make it work. Well, that's what you tell yourself. Even though you can always go back to a job, you should always be able to go back to a job. You tell yourself you've got to make this work. You know, ego kicks in, lots of things kick in. Um, and most importantly, you want to make it work because you see the problem or you've experienced the problem and you need to, you want to see a solution in the world for it. Um, and, you know, in my situation, I could just see where these, where these red flags were and what I needed to do to solve those red flags. And that wasn't a case of let's stop on the product, let's stop on the iteration, let's stop on the innovation um, and let's put our foot on the gas on research. It was more like, um, that was something that I'd done on a daily basis. I, de I delegated hours to purely working on my business plan each day. And the process, because I didn't do it in a sprint, 
And the, the reason I didn't do it in a sprint, like I had a founder on LinkedIn who said to me, yeah, okay, I'll get the business plan done in two weeks. That really seems madness to me because my business plan is 20 pages, but it's 20 pages of like a grade A business plan that, you know, I've had so much positive feedback on, but it's had so much iteration, a bit like an author does with a book. Um, you know, you reread it, you readjust things, you take things out, you add things in. That's very much what it's like. Um, or even like a dissertation for someone at university. Um, it, it's, a, it's a big piece of work. And ultimately, you shouldn't rush it because you shouldn't want to rush it. You should want to understand your business. You should want to understand your market because it gives you a real advantage, not just as a company, but as an individual. Because in the early days of, of a, a startup and you are pitching for capital, and you're trying to attract your first team members or making your first hire, you have got to be persuasive. You've got to be confident that you can deliver. You've got to be a leader. So a leader, um, they don't always know the answer to every question, um, but they are sure that they will do everything to find an answer. And they can answer at least 80% of their questions if someone was to put them in a room and, um, and kind of throw uh, 100 questions up and they should be able to get at least 80% of them right if you know your business. Um, now, that's all great. So I built my business plan alongside my company because neither one was as important as the other, but both were needed. Both needed to make progress. I personally needed to make progress. And I realized that once I'd done that and I actually did go through the funding and the, the fundraising process, you know, the first thing that anyone asks for is, okay, give us, your, give us your pitch deck. And it's like, okay, I'm interested. Give me your business plan. Um, but usually between the pitch deck and the business plan, if it's the right investor, you'll meet up on multiple occasions and they'll ask you many questions and you'll ask them many questions because you're getting to know each other, which is part of that relationship building, a bit like dating. Um, but ultimately like at that stage you, you should feel confident in answering those questions and for me where I found the most uh, value was you know in the fundraising process being, being confident enough to stand in a room and ask someone for money like I don't care who you are whether you're raising 10,000 pound or 100 million round you're still taking other people's money it's got to come from somewhere and my values are, um, I take it personally, I'm going to return that money. That's not to say if my company fell apart, I would fall apart. But I feel like I have an obligation. Those people have believed in me that I want to return to those guys. I want everyone to succeed. Um, and that's my, my mindset on it. So for me, as a, to put, try and put yourself in my shoes, I'm a young founder. I do have a few years of experience, but I'm still a young founder. There's still millions of things that I don't know and challenges that I haven't yet come up against but that being said I wanted to put myself in the best situation so um I was confident enough that I could go up against um a company that might be doing like, like 600 million in in revenue um which is one in our space um and that I believed that we could do this I could get other people to join my mission, whether it was shareholders, investors, employees, mentors, 
I wanted to be able to attract people, but not to bullshit people, not to uh, lie to people and manipulate a situation to sound great. I wanted to know the facts. I wanted to know the numbers. I wanted to know my numbers and, and generate forecasts and be able to have objectives and goals. Um, I didn't want to be a company that would say to investors, one day we're going to make money, just one day. Um, although some companies are great and they go on to do that, I'm a person that likes a plan. Um, I think there's great insight and advantage to having a plan. That doesn't mean you follow it every single day like a Bible. Um, again, that is not the that is not the process and the purpose of a business plan. You know, a business plan should be there. It should be high level enough for you and anyone else joining your mission, because that's what it is, your journey, to understand who you are, what the what the company is, what the values are, how you are different, what is the problem that you solve, who are your competitors, what do your competitors look like in terms of size, revenue, um, how long have they been trading for and operating? Do they operate in multiple markets? Um, what, are the, what are the USPs of your competitors? Where do your competitors potentially have uh, an advantage over you? Where is the disadvantage? How are you going to beat them? Um, it's very much like game theory. You know, that's something that I think startup founders should obviously study more. I can cover in another podcast some great books and, and courses on it. But it's, you know, a, a company... You, you go to market, well, I go to market because I want to win. Um, I don't go to market to create a lifestyle business. I've gone to market to create a global business, not from a place of ego, from a place of that is just my mission. I think there's an amazing opportunity. I want to create a fantastic team on a global scale. I want to have a lot of fun in, in doing that. I, I love solving problems. You know, those of you that have listened to this podcast previously, that is just me. Um, other people are very money motivated. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Um, but the fact is, if you want to grow a global business and take something, as Peter Thiel says, from zero to one, you've really got to figure out where the opportunity is and how you're going to seize that opportunity. Um, that can be that can sound like an enormous thing, but your business plan should basically spec out what house meters today, for example. How is that going to change? What might that look like in three years' time? You know, you should review your business plan probably yearly. Some do it quarterly. Um, product roadmap should be updated a lot more frequently than that, especially based on consumer um, and user data and feedback. But your business plan should be a reference that if there's a tough decision for you to make, you know, um, before you even go to a mentor or you discuss it with your team, you know, go to your business plan, your values should be in there, your long-term mission should be in there. As I say, that should be updated, so it shouldn't be anything that um, was your mission kind of 18 months ago. And it should help you make that decision and navigate that time. You know, we're now dealing with a global crisis. That means that many businesses haven't prepared for this. Quite frankly, I don't think anyone expected this. You know, we can prepare for recessions and we can uh, prepare for stock markets crashing and dot-com booms happening again. Um, but I just think that this has been something that 
has come in such a uh, unprecedented way, uh, and that's not saying build a build a business plan for the next COVID nineteen. It's just saying that build a business plan that's going to help you help you get to where you actually want to get to. You know, treat it like like a a reference so that when it's, it's there when you need it. You don't need to study it. You don't need to preach it. Um, it just helps you get to where you want to be as a company and as an individual in some senses. And the business plan helps with so many things because, you know, for me, my biggest advantage in my um, in my market currently is that I could argue I know my consumer better than any of my competitors. Um, and that's because I've spoken to thousands of my consumers, all my staff are or were potential consumers um, of my product, and they fail to put the consumer first. And the company that puts the consumer first will forever be the company that wins, you know, product of people, the two Ps come first. Um, now, my competition has favoured other things, you know, they've favoured consultancy, uh, they've con- they've favored a managed marketplace, they've favored a, a, a service fee business model based on yearly rental. There's a million and one things that they've favored, which, you know, some could say they're doing 130 million in revenue last year, and that's fantastic. Great. Um, but 130 million in revenue on a 180 billion market is nothing. Um, and they've been around for 10 years. So, you know, that's just giving you some kind of insight of how I see it. Now, how I know my consumer that well is because I've spent so much time with my consumer. So if you were to read my business plan, you clearly understand what is housemates, what is it going to be in 18 months' time, what is it going to be in 10 years' time, high, high, high level, that will change with data, um, why was it created, what is its global mission, and will that change over time, and... Um, you know, how's it going to win? Because business is competition. You know, it's just, you're just naturally competitive, especially to to operate in a fast-paced environment such as technology. You have constantly got to have your eye on the ball. You've got to be following your data. You've got to be surrounding yourself with people who are ahead of you at the same stage as you. And as I'm doing now, giving back to people who are um, slightly earlier on their journey. You know, you've got to be reading the books. If you want to be the best, you've got to go and do those things. There's, there's no ifs or buts about that. But I just think you're setting yourself at a disadvantage by not seizing the opportunity because it's still building value into your business. You know, having a business plan can help you understand the market opportunity as a as a um and and put a total value on that market like in students accommodation it's 180 billion it's different in different markets you know it was once said to airbnb uh, on their first investor pitch they put that the market was worth 30 million and one of their great mentors said come back to us when it says 30 billion and it turns out you know airbnb is um, now a 30 billion pound company operating in a multi 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 billion pound travel market uh, pre and post this virus that will come back itself. So I think you you need to understand those numbers because those numbers are what investors care about. 
they care that you know and you've taken the time to understand those numbers and those numbers they can do their own maths on that behind the scenes and figure out well if we get one percent of that market or if we're if we're extra great if we get 10 percent of that market or if if it's a small market and it's a billion market if we own 80 percent of that market that's a fantastic business to have and um, and they're going to do their own maths they're going to look at your financial forecast they're going to look at your business model um, and that's going to help them make their decision but the biggest thing that matters at an early stage in a company is they're backing you so the more you know the better so you know when you build your business plan this is not like um doing citations online like for university this is like a combination of primary and secondary research so okay what do you have from your existing data on your product usage wise and insight wise that you know that no one else knows um what is the um what is the competitor doing that you think is wrong you know, what is the competitor not doing um what solutions exist but are failing and how do you know they're failing have you had in-person interviews with people who've used their products and haven't enjoyed them have you got streams of product reviews on your competitors products that are all negative um is the online groups and communities with people venting about your problem that you can clearly demonstrate and you've gone in and educated and gather feedback on your feedback on your concept when you go out and do these things you're building like it's like sweat equity it, well, you're obviously got sweat equity anyway but it's like sweat equity into the brand you know you're investing it's like compound interest the more value that you know the more value you are the more value you can add to the market and the more value and a bigger valuation your company's going to have now unless you want to go and give 50 percent to an investor on your first round of investments you're going to need a good valuation now two things come with that well three actually you your product so your solution to the problem and how big that market is and by looking at those three things an investor can say okay she or he is a great person you know i can bet that they're going to give their absolute all and that is all anyone can give and they might have a bit of experience here 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 and they've attracted she, he or she's attracted this team it also means that you know they're looking at your product and they're looking at the problem and they're figuring out okay this is going to evolve over time is this going to be what consumers want um and then it also means that there's a huge opportunity and great opportunities present great challenges um but some of the you know they create global change um so they're the things that you know investors are looking at they're looking at you they're looking at the market and they're looking at your problem um and the solution that you've got to that problem that you have experienced or your friends and family have experienced that, that you're building and i just think that by understanding that this is only going to add value we can kind of flip this on its head i'm not saying go and build a 200 page document even if it's 10 pages let it be 10 pages of high level and um, you understand so across every part of your business I, if it means to kind of take things out and share um a template of a business plan that in my business plan and take my information out i'm willing to do that with founders I just think 
don't waste your time and don't waste investors time because until you can answer those questions no one's going to give you money um and it sounds brutal but i wish someone had been brutal with me on my other companies when i thought that why aren't people backing me at 15 years old or why aren't people backing me at 18 years old or why aren't people backing me at 19 years old like constantly questioning and self-doubting myself but it's because no one was telling me actually there's a few things that you need that you haven't got and it's not inequalities it's uh, and it's not you've got personality flaws it's purely you need to validate more that more people need this product and there's a bigger problem and you need to define and demonstrate that in a few documents and you need to demonstrate and talk through and answer our questions with great confidence um, and confidence builds trust I say this all the time I mentioned it on my last episode of this podcast you want to build great trust with your shareholders you want to build like a mentor like mate like um relationship where you can call them good or bad you just don't want an investor um all investors are in it for a return but most investors invest because they've been through it themselves the journey and they want to give back and they love the community the startup community and i just think that you want to get that right set yourself up for success um, there's probably a million and things, a million and one things that I could talk about. I could do this podcast for six hours and run you through my business plan. Um, obviously not like super exclusive stuff, but I, I could run you through all the things that have happened to me that if if and before uh, before I had a business plan, it would have been great for me. I can't tell you that now in COVID nineteen, my business plan. I didn't I didn't plan for a global crisis. I'm gonna be totally honest because. I think it, it would just do injustice to lie. Um, but I I planned for uncertainty. There's already great uncertainty in a startup anyway. You know, nine out of 10 startups fail. Um, not to dishearten any of you. Um, what you learn on a startup, you won't learn anywhere else. You know, taking something from nothing to something that people know and use. I feel, and I think it's a bit like a nurse in a hospital, when they help someone get better. Um, I feel like there's so much pleasure in that. Um, or like my dad, a builder, when he builds and completes a site and people move in or a business operates that new commercial space, this gratification, great gratif- gratification and satisfaction in that. Um, and I just really want more people to have more success and not make the mistakes that I did previously on, on other startups that I had and set themselves up for um, well um, for, for positive investor talks, for um, great outcomes. You know, you just want to make your the odds work for you, not against you. Um, and I mean, some of you are going to look at this as a rant. It is partly a rant, I'm not going to lie. I love people reaching out to me. Um, but quite frankly, I didn't raise money overnight. Um, I've been six years, probably millions of hours working on different products to finally get what some may say is a break, but I just say is just the beginning. You know, ask me in 10 years where I am. I don't know yet, um, but I know there's still so much that I don't know. But what I do know, I'm going to share. That is the whole point of this podcast. And I mean, that is my rant for today. If you like my rant, share my rant. If you don't, um, well, I'm not sorry. And 
please share with someone that you think is relevant. You know, it's going to help them as always. Please give me feedback. Even if you don't like my rants, I still like to hear from you. Um, and yeah, I hope it really helps. And I hope everyone is staying positive um, and healthy during this, this, this unprecedented time. And I'm just sending all my love uh, and all my gratitude to all of you who reached out and congratulated me on my Instagram and on my LinkedIn, which is crazy. And I hope you all have a fantastic weekend.